0: Welcome to The Point of View Show. My name is Andrew Tran, I'm your host. This show highlights business professionals in Asia and around the world to get an understanding on what makes them effective, how they do it, and advice to help you grow in leadership, branding, marketing, and sales. For more information, head over to my website, www.andrewtran.asia. Before we get into it, smash that subscribe button and click notifications, whether or not you're listening or watching this. It helps me a ton and it helps Other like-minded people find these episodes a lot easier. Now, let's get on with the show. Marcus, how's things going?
1: Oh, so good, my man. So happy to be here. Excited to chat with you.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks. Hey, uh, for anyone who's watching or listening, man, Marcus has an incredible story and we're going to get straight into it. But uh, for anyone who's watching or listening, Marcus, is would you be able to kind of describe what you do, who you are a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Marcus Champ, founder of Venley Consulting Group, and I work directly with B2B sales professionals to help them earn an additional fifty dollars to $100,000 more in commissions every single year by crushing their sales role.
0: Damn, that's uh, super charging right now. Um, It's, it's simple. It's direct. You know exactly what I do. So when it comes to sales rejections, that's one thing that I'm super super interested about. Like when I talk to a lot of sales reps, a lot of sales pros like yourself, what is the common misconception that reps get when it comes to their sales rejections?
1: Yeah, what a great question. You know, and I've I. I believe a lot of times with sales reps, they believe, okay, you know what? If I know they're gonna have these five objections, whichever one they say, I'm gonna say this. If they say one, I'm gonna say two. If they say three, I'm gonna say four. If they say five, I'm gonna say six. And when you think this way, it becomes actually a very combative conversation with that prospect. So for example, they hear an objection, hey, you know what? Uh, I need to talk with a decision maker or something like that. And they they get that. And then they at least are going to a rebuttal. And when you think about even that word rebuttal, Model, that's a very confrontational word. And what's happening is after they get done kind of pitching back at the person, that person comes, has a different objection and then different, and it becomes a ping pong match back and forth. And no one really feels good at the end of it, especially the sales professional. So that's only one common misconception. And the truth is really this is when people get thrown an objection, it's very normal. It, it's actually, it's very, very normal. Because when you think about this in a sales situation, when you ask for the business, you <laughs> the other person on the receiving end, suddenly they go tense. Their body goes tense. They're in this fight or flight mode, which is hardwiredness for literally thousands of years. So usually those kind of say the first thing on their mind, which is some sort of objection. And 99% of the time, it's not even the primary objection. It's a smokescreen surface level objection. So what should be done instead is that self-professional should start diving deeper and asking more questions to really uncover and clarify what the real root objections are, because ultimately the smoke screen objection is a symptom of something larger, so dive in deep first instead of thinking, if they say this, I'm going to say that. Instead, seek to understand what the real objection is, and then overcome that specifically.
0: That kind of leads to a kind of question that I had, um, right, when it comes to you know, some of the misconceptions. W- would you think that a common mistake sales reps make uh, when it comes to losing that deal could be that they just don't ask a lot of questions or is there other elements to that as well?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times when deals are lost, it's ne- it's never due to the initial close, right? It's always de- It's always because of upfront. There were other things that happened that were missed in the discovery phase of really uncover what's going on. So, for example, a lot of times I see where reps lose the deal, especially when it comes to like enterprise opportunities, big opportunities. Usually, there's multiple decision makers in play. So that could be four, five, or even ten or more decision makers. And most sales professionals, if if they're not highly skilled, they may only work with one or two of the people in, the, in that business unit and they're not even usually the ones who could ultimately pull the trigger. So what, what ends up happening is, is that, ho- that whole deal is never truly sold and they're moving it along and they gets to the very end and suddenly they realize they don't have all the players in the game. So then they lose that deal or it gets stalled out or whatever as a result. And really it was, what it stems down to is an improper discovery on the front end is all that happened. If they did a proper discovery on the front end and then can the consist would seek to validate the discovery and other things within the sales process as they meet every time they can really get all the facts to actually navigate and control that deal to a close so you're spot on i'm a firm believer like majority of, of sales are really like 99 of the sales is completely done in the discovery phase of the process
0: yeah i i totally agree as well man like i speak to other sales reps and also speak to other sales pros. And it sounds so simple. It's like, hey, ask better questions, but it is so important, right? Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, It's like with sports, for instance, it's, it's not exactly everything that's on the field on the day. It's, it's all the training that you do leading up to it for that 40 minute game or that 80 minute game. It's, it's all that training, the weeks beforehand, having the right nutrition everything like that. So I think, I think asking those questions is so, so important and man, I'm, I'm super excited. Like like for anyone's watching or listing, man, like you gotta check out Mark's profile. It's it's absolutely incredible. Um, the machine that that drives him is really really cool. My question is is like when it comes to you know your methodology, is there is there anything that you develop or or you instill into the sales reps that you work with to create that breakthrough type of moment in the sales training?
1: Yeah, so mine mine is super simple, right? Um with my mythology, it's it's so it's so like devilishly simple that it's why it works so well. And ultimately, when you think about this, the Achilles heel of most sales reps is they talk too much. They talk too much, right? They try to pitch too much. They want to know too many features and benefits to try to spew all this knowledge on the prospects. So my mythology is the complete reverse, which 80 to 90% of the whole process is purely questions-based. So it's a very simplistic method where it's based off Socratic dialogue with your prospects that really opens them up. And it's the way the questions are structured. So when you ask them a certain way, you can actually create a virtually objectionless close. So you follow the the, the format that I teach, it puts you in a position where before you even get to presenting your solution, your offer, they're already sold on you that they have a problem, they must take action. And they need a solution and as long as you can now show your solution can align to everything you just uncovered then it's gonna be a, a pretty much a no-brainer And if you do a really good job of the complex situation your complex deals get cut down drastically shorter as well so it's very simple it's a question-based method where i call the the selling code system which is you connect you open them you direct and you expand the relationship and you can do it for every part of the sales cycle if you do it that way consistently you will close faster too
0: do you think also that Charisma plays a
1: part? Um, I mean, it can to a certain extent because ultimately a sale is usually like a transfer of enthusiasm, potential passion. However, even if you're not charismatic, you know, like that doesn't necessarily mean you have you, you can't be a great salesman if you're not charismatic. Ultimately, what I find a lot of people, especially in B2B, they have a problem. They want someone to listen to them and solve the problem. And most salespeople in general are not great at actually listening to the prospect, like truly listening and understanding them and meeting them where they are because they're so focused on themselves trying to pitch versus understanding that prospect and what they truly want to accomplish with the true pains, desires, needs. Are really at and that is so key this is actually why i find the best sales people are like sometimes a lot of them are actually introverts like just because they are really good at listening usually because they're like internalizing and they're asking deep thoughtful questions so they're not going surface level they're actually speaking a lot less than most salespeople do. So that's where it's, um, this is such a key thing to focus on as a sales professional. Like if you were to go back and like, say, listen to your last 10 zoom sales calls, who talked more, you or them, if you talked more chances are pretty good that, you know, you're probably not gonna get the deal. If they talked more, your chances are going to go uh, almost guaranteed because now they feel heard and that you actually did a good job, ask them questions and cover their true needs and if you think about it it's, this is why if you ever seen a therapist or got to see a doctor like that all he does is ask you questions so you just sit back and you listen in and you digest in everything they say and then as a result then you're like okay and you feel better, even if they don't have a solution for you. You just feel better because you're able to just talk it all out with someone else.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. One thing that obviously a lot of salespeople are going through right now is with COVID and you know with lockdowns that are part of that new norm now, the way we have to interact through Zoom and, and through other kind of video memes and stuff. Is there a way or is, is there things that have changed for sales reps when it comes to generating leads um, and closing? them? Is there like some sort of aspect within the sales process that they need to dial a lot more.
1: Yeah, I, I believe if you, if, and if you came from a more traditional, like face-to-face direct selling model, like field sales, and then you transition to like completely virtual online, it's a completely different world at that point. You know, I, I'm a firm believer when you sell virtually, you actually have less room for error than face to face. Because in the face to face selling, that's where life came from. We did face to face, we did phone, we did email, we did, vert, we did all of the above. But I remember even face to face, let's just say, for example, if you weren't great on the phone and trust wasn't quite there, but then you met face to face, maybe you're just better in person. Like You could, you could, you'll, you'll see them in the lobby of their, of their business or you meet them out for dinner or lunch or whatever. You can have this like kind of human rapport of like mm-hmm. breaking bread, having conversation and those little things that you just don't get to have on a zoom like for example like i remember even back when we were doing face-to-face sales calls even when you meet the prospect in a lobby from the lobby you walk into maybe their conference room or their office you get that couple minutes of just human rapport and kind of just joking around a little bit and a little bit of conversation kind of open them up a little bit so that way once you're actually sit down you can easily transition into the agenda of what's going to happen on a zoom, boom, you're on, (laughs) You, you jump on a zoom, they're there. You don't have that. So you might have awkward small talk, et cetera. So, you know, and that's why it's so valuable to be able to nail every part of the process and that's from how, you, how are you on the phones to the copy you write to even your social presence in today's world you have to have an online presence and i'm not saying everyone needs to create content and be an influencer or whatever but you need to have some sort of social presence so that way if you and your company are looked up by this prospect you know they'll actually get nurtured by what they see versus they lose trust So for example, if they look at your profile and you have nothing on your profile, you don't even have a headshot, they look at your company, company is non-existent online, they're probably not gonna want to even jump jump on the meeting with you. However, if you have an online presence, whether it's yourself or your company, it will give them a little more trust and credibility to you as a result. So in today's world, from a processing perspective, you wanna have the online presence. On top of that, you also wanna make sure you are leveraging every possible medium to get a hold of your prospects. The mistake I find some people make is they're like a one-trick pony, meaning they say, you know what, I'm, a, I'm that person who walks in a bit, I'm a door-to-door person, or I'm a cold caller, or I'm a cold emailer, or I'm a social seller. But in today's world, it's not about choosing one trick only or one method only. You want to be as good as many as possible because you want to meet your prospect where they're at. Like In order to engage the prospect, you to so prospect them, that might mean first you engage in their, on their LinkedIn like post, and then you maybe you do an outbound call to them. Maybe the next day that's a cold email. Then maybe you send a connection request on LinkedIn. Maybe then you find like a Reddit thread. And on, you, so you kind of see where it's like you might hit multiple, multiple places before you even get to have a have conversation with them. And those who understand that are the ones who are able to break through the noise and meet with all those top tier prospects that they want to close anyways.
0: Yeah. And do you find though that the sales lead time is much longer in online versus offline or is it around the same?
1: I would say it depends on everything I just mentioned. If you are really good all the above, that can really shorten down your sales cycle drastically. Now, if you don't have all those things in place, yeah, it's probably, you can have a longer lead time for sure. Especially if you are like a startup and no one really knows who you are. So that, that requires more credibility, more buildup, et cetera. So like, for example, this is why when I started my business a couple of years ago, I made sure immediately I started building an online presence, like from day one. And this way I knew with products that would meet with me, they can get nurtured by my content, whether it's you know direct to them, to email marketing, to ads, whatever, they get warmed up to me. So that way, when I, when I got to them, we had have a pretty good conversations. So for example, I know from cold outreach to close is 12 and a half business days on average for my business. And it's because we have it down to a science, every part of the business. So we, we can help guide that for the sales process. Obviously it's a, it's a smaller business, it's a little bit easier to, to control and navigate. And as the business grows, it's a little bit harder, but when you have the understanding of, that, of the mythology behind it, you can also apply to large business as well. But as a sales professional, you can't always control what the business does, but you can control what you do. And that's why I think it's so key that people can consistently work on advancing their skills every single facet from phone, email, social selling, to even door, if they still do that, to SMS, to writing copy, et cetera. All those things are going to help them do the same thing, which is find the right people, engage with them, and ultimately bring them on as a happy new client.
0: That, that's cool. It makes me kind of think about like everything that you just kind of said during the entire episode. It, it made me think about the days where I was a door-to-door salesperson <laughs> yeah. and where I am today and some of the evolutional changes, I guess, that occurred. Like I don't know, can you remember like first time as a salesperson and oh yeah, you know, your time now like is there something that kind of was an evolutional change for you? Yeah.
1: Uh, so I remember my very first uh, first day for B2B sales, at least, very first day, it was walking, like literally walking out of my office and walking down the street and knocking on doors. I had a handful of my boss's business cards, and my boss said, hey, go out there and knock on doors. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to expect. And I walked in over 60 doors that day, and I didn't generate a single lead, didn't book a single meeting, didn't close a single opportunity that same day. Did the same thing again the next day. And when you look back now, and now it's very different because now I would go if if is it the same thing, I'll book at least 15, 20 meetings, depending on, on the size of the opportunity. I'll book at least 15, 20 meetings in the exact same thing, no problem. Right. Some of them mention will close, probably at least 30% will close because now I've learned different things that's gonna help me. So for example, like back then, I didn't know how to, and these are like these are the like core basic sales principles that I just didn't know back then. So for example, being able to walk in and capture attention, okay, gain control and authority. Didn't know how to do that. Ask engaging questions that are just actually are relevant and guide towards information that I need to be able to qualify as fast as possible. Right. Uh, Self like decision making process. I didn't know any of that type of stuff back then. Right. To be able to, uh, h- how to hook them without pitching and be able to secure a meeting as well of an actual qualified person. And of course, actually running a sales call. So it's, it's so drastically different now because I remember when I, at that point, even from there, and then I went to a different company years later. And I had sorrow completely with a new territory. I was able to have success very quickly because of all the things that have already made mistakes. I'm like, oh, my, this is much easier now because now I have some direction guidance. And a lot of times people think it's a, it's a pure numbers game. I actually disagree with that statement because the hidden meaning is, hey, even if you're not converting a high level, just crank up the numbers, which is not always right. Because if you're converting on a very low level, trying to scale something with more activity on something that doesn't convert well is basically you wasting time. So versus change the messaging, change the targeting, get that nail first, convert better first, and then scale that bad boy up. So that's why I think it's so key to be able to reflect on some of these things I look back on, like, you know what? These are some core principles that haven't changed. Gaining intention, you know, breaking through the noise, making being customer-centric, asking the right questions, qualifying them. These are things I wish I knew early on that I didn't know till much later.
0: Did you have any like mentors or teachers that kind of helped you along? Or did you just kind of grind it out?
1: So, I mean, there was like a, a couple, right? So for example, I struggled for for weeks. I remember when I first started, it was during the last recession, 2007. And first BB sales job, no, the training that was given to me was a two-inch manual written by people at corporate who had never done the job before. And I remember looking at this, and like, this stuff's not going to work. So I, I basically threw that in the garbage. And I went out there and just kind of tried doing what my boss told me to do. It didn't work. He'd never done the job before. I, I remember actually reading, I, I went to the library, got a lot of sales books, Brian, Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Augmented, Mandina, all the common sales books everyone got, read them, tried them, didn't work because they're all outdated. Now, I'll say my first like indirect mentor, if you will, was Tony Robbins. And what happened was I remember I came across one of his books called Awaken the Giant Within. And in that specific book, what he mentioned, it, was, it, it just like clicked for me. It was, it's not even a sales book. But it's about really understanding yourself, the human psychology, et cetera. And one thing he said in there was, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question. And that really hit me because I've basically been telling myself the wrong things and I wasn't asking myself the right questions. So that was like the first pivot. That was the first person I will consider like a real mentor because that was someone that really was like, wow, okay, you know what? I need to shift how I do things. As a professional, you don't think about so much later. But at the time, being a fresh college grad, I was used to sleeping in late showing up, maybe a little bit hungover, right? Not being my best, my best self, then wondering why I didn't have any energy on calls, why I did a terrible job, et cetera, versus how to show up in state, set myself into proper peak performance state, and then execute to get the best possible version of me out. So those things I started learning. And that was really a really key piece as well. And I invested some of his programs as well, which is fantastic. i um, an actual physical person mentor. My boss's boss is someone I really I re- looked up to as well, because he's a young guy, had been very successful, but that was more of a business perspective. And those are things though, I look back, and I'm so thankful for the guides and leadership. And some of their tough love they gave me because it did cause me to kind of you know wake up a little bit right for example I am remember one time uh, you know especially back then when you first start you don't have any money you're poor right and I'm struggling and all my suits I had were all like worn down and, and, and beat up and and I was worrying it I remember one of the one of them and it was in Oregon it rain's laws you know and it, it has been just destroyed it's from the weather and just being outdoors and pounding pavement etc and my white shirts I, had, I hadn't bought new ones and it was, it was a white dress shirt type of place and even that was turning kind of yellow all it was kind of turning yellow the, the, the collars kind of turning yellow you know it was just like i i mean i didn't look good right but i, I kept working. i was like this is i'm wearing a suit leaf i'm wearing a tie and he pulled me aside he's like he just looked at me he's like why why don't you get some new clothes i'm like I look fine, you know, I look fine, Bill. I'm look, look totally good. He's like, he's like, you sell how you buy. I'm like, what? He's like, you sell how you buy. I'm like, hmm. hmm. He's like, if you aren't willing to invest into yourself, get some new clothes. Actually, look the part. I'm not. He's like, I'm not saying you need to spend like a buy two thousand dollars suit, but. Get like a nice $150 suit. Get something better when you're already wearing. Get something cleaner and professional. If you can't look the part and invest in yourself, why would your prospects invest into us? Why would they buy with us? I'm like, that's a good point. So I remember that like that week, I went, I went to like three grand in clothes, like a bunch of new suits, a bunch of new shirts, et cetera, because that was powerful, but that's why it's so key to get a mentor because they can help you see things that you can't see because you just simply do not know. And early on, you just don't know what you don't know. And this is actually why I consistently still invest into mentors because you get to a certain point where you can no longer just get the mentors from your, from your work. Because that was a mentor from my work. You to start investing outside of where you are at because. You simply will outgrow the pond you're probably in, and essentially are not going to be the people that you want that are going to raise the level you want to be at. That's why it's, it's so vital to have a good mentor in any part of your life that's going to help you elevate you to the level you want to be at. Truly,
0: that's cool, and I I totally um, relate to the the yellow collar. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you wear the white shirt, and and you know you're paving the p- pounding pavements. It's hot. It's it's you know humid. And, you know, yeah. you, you throw in the wash and then you come back and you're like, hey, it's not as white as it used to be. And You try you bleaching
1: know, it. <laughs> try bleaching it, yeah. Exactly. It, gets wor- it gets worse actually because it destroys the threading over time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like such an Asian thing.
1: Totally is, totally is.
0: Yeah, it's such an Asian thing. It's, it's so funny. Um, one of the things I do ask all my guests is advice. So uh, with Marcus, with you, if you had to talk to a chief sales, um, sales officer in terms of inspiring or motivating their sales reps to exceed their quota, what would you say?
1: Yeah, I would say number one, seek to truly understand what intrinsically motivates each person. I'm gonna say it again, seek to truly understand what intrinsically motivates each salesperson. A, a lot of times I find many sales leaders, you know, CSOs, CROs. They're so focused on the external incentives. Hey, you know what? We're going to run a sales contest. Hey, we're going to run this performance incentive. Hey, we're going to throw an extra bonus or kicker or spiff, or we're going to change the compound this way. Those things can work to a certain extent, but those are all extrinsic motivators. And I find when you can uncover what intrinsically motivates each salesperson, that could be growth That could be development. That could be, you know, they want to just be seen as a a high performer. They want to get recognition. When you can understand those things and you can help them achieve those intrinsic drivers, you will actually tap into a high level performance in which they'll actually display discretionary effort, which is more than just beyond just selling. But they'll do things that are above and beyond what's expected of them, which will help make the organization even stronger when you tap into that deeper drive of who they are.
0: Ah, uh, you got me charged up and it's uh, the morning for me. I going like, I'm going to, I'm going to start making calls straight after this, but look, like <laughs> wrapping up, um, where can they find you?
1: Awesome. couple of different places. So easy places, LinkedIn, look me up Marcus Chan only got a speedos on the tagline. Cause I sold speedos at one point, uh, or head over to my website, which is a uh, six figure sales that's six figure sales Nice
0: man. And for anyone's watching, listening, I'll put them in the show notes below. So Marcus, Thank you so much for joining me uh, today and and sharing your wisdom when it comes to sales and overcoming objections and all the misconceptions around that as well. Um, And for anyone who's watching, listening, thank you so much. And I'll see you on the next episode.